Well, good afternoon, friends. I hope everybody is doing well on this uh, Monday afternoon. And uh, um, here we are at our Expand video podcast. We're experimenting with uh, essentially taking my sermons from yesterday and sharing a little bit more uh, about them and uh, and uh, going from there. So um, glad you could be with us. Excited to jump in today. So um, as I normally do is my practice. I, um, let's see, well, I'll do that later. As is my practice, I um, um, take the sermons from yesterday and expand on them a little bit more, and so we're going to jump in. And I use the uh, lectionary um, quite a bit, so yesterday's passages, I took part of the lectionary passage from the Old Testament, Jeremiah 31, 33, and then John 12, 30 through 33. So let's jump in. All right, but this, this is Jeremiah 31, 33. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I'll put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And then John 12, 20 through 33 says this. Now among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew... Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life will lose it. And those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. So here are some thoughts that I have about that. Um, My kids, um, they have an amazing memory. Both of them, actually. Um, They remember things, especially my son. If I promise something to him or even hint at a promise, he doesn't easily forget. Something comes up and we have to possibly be flex- flexible, Brennan will simply say, but you promised. And that's the end of that for him. I mean, it's just one of those things about him. Now, if you're a parent, um, or if you've ever made promise to anybody, uh, you know it's always not easy to keep your promises to folks, especially to your kids. Try as you might, you simply can't always do it. And then there becomes a necessary, another lesson, uh, the gift of uh, um, grace another lesson to teach or to to demonstrate. Promises made and kept, though, give us hope and confidence in relationships. As we move through relationships, uh, we we sometimes make promises in those relationships or commitments. Sometimes those commitments can be broken. Uh, Sometimes the trust needs to be restored or, um, you know, we we just haven't. And and we go through life, and I know there are relationships in my life where trust has been broken and still hasn't been repaired. And we live within that. And that's why I think promises are so important 
as well as going into them um, uh, with your eyes wide open. I think sometimes when you enter into a commitment or a promise, it takes a certain amount of discipline, you know, um, and, and, and practice. You know, I used to coach cross country. I'm even wearing my uh, Finneytown cross country t-shirt today. And, uh, you know, we would always tell kids, the more you practice, the better you're going to get. And it also creates um, a, a discipline of, uh, of, of knowing that you can do it and also um, builds upon it and you get better and better at what you're doing. Um, and the more that you do it, you actually get confidence that you can do whatever. I mean, discipline, practice, um, and, and, and commitments and promises, as well as in anything in life, leads to a sense of confidence that you can do it. Now, our Old Testament lesson this morning is about promises and the discipline of loving relationship. God has made promises to the people of Israel, promises of deliverance from Egypt, where they were enslaved and to the Pharaoh, which God delivered them. But he delivered them into the wilderness for 40 years and then 40 more years and, and, and forming themselves and feeling like, is God's promise still true? I mean, we see that in the, in the passage where, where, where Jesus, or Jesus, God says, I will be your God and you'll be my people. He says that to Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah is later because, you know, Israel leaves being in, in the empire, moves on to um, eventually get to the promised land. And then they become an empire and uh, forgetting that God has said, if you're going to be my people, you got to honor others. You got to honor the relationship that we have, God and the people, as well as others that are coming through it, uh, through the land, immigrants, refugees, those on the margins, and they didn't. And so they eventually left and were in exile again. Again, people without a land in exile in Babylon. And so in that passage in Jeremiah, God tells them that he has new promises for them, promises of abundance, of presence, of blessing, of relationship, and calls on them to, to, to plant gardens, to build families, to marry, um, and to work towards the benefit of the city, of the neighborhood. Now, it's interesting, too, in this passage, God uses the term, or the writer uses the term husband. Now, that's not necessarily meant to be patriarchal. Maybe it is. I mean, it was written in antiquity. But there's a deeper expression there than just merely looking at it on the surface of being patriarchal or masculine. The writer is trying to convey something. There's a commitment. There is a binding of relationship, a covenant. Uh, he's saying, the writer is saying that um, God is being bound to us bound to us. God, the creator of everything, the cosmos, bigger than everything, filling all the spaces in between us and inside of us, you know, the great expansiveness of God bound to us. Wow. That's amazing. Think about that for a moment. God binding God's self to us. As I shared yesterday, at the end of the day, um, being a part of a church is an example of covenant relationship. You know, we can talk all day long about what church membership means, but it, was, it means more than simply paying a tithe, showing up on Sunday mornings, or showing up for a few committee meetings here and there. You're bound to one another. You've made commitments to be in community with each other. It's a big deal. And to be in a certain place 
and to work for the benefit of that neighborhood, of that place, the places in which you gather for worship or your churches and even in your own neighborhoods. Um, and if your neighborhood and your church are in the same place, yeah, there's a binding in that to one another, a covenant. Now, God, or the passage goes on to say that God's law will be put on your inward parts, on our hearts. It will no longer be being following uh, just simply a, a set of rules set in stone, but placed in our hearts, part of us, lived out. And that's demonstrated ultimately through Jesus. Jesus uh, transcended the law. He didn't come to abolish the law, but, but he embodied the law, as we've said before in other passages. God's promises to us are fulfilled through Jesus in deep and powerful and loving ways. We are called to, to cultivate, if you will, to discipline ourselves, to follow Jesus. And then following Jesus, following the ways, the example that how Jesus lived. It's hard. It's not easy. We fail a lot. I fail a lot. I fail every day. But this discipline is essential in growing in our understanding of our true selves as created, redeemed, and sustained by this God. The root word for discipline even comes from the word disciple. A disciple is a student or a follower of Jesus. We learn from the ways of Jesus, knowing that the Christ presence that is uh, full and embodied in Jesus is also present within us, binding us to this Jesus. And so we are then able to see Jesus in a deeper way and to follow this example. Now, in the gospel lesson that we just read, uh, we hear Jesus talking to some Greeks, probably Greeks who were seeking to know more about God, who were drawn to Jesus' teaching because it had power and demonstrated a challenge to the current system that governed culture. And Jesus shares with them a hard thing to hear, that in order for something to grow, it has to die. Now, these Greeks are probably seeking, you know, they're seeing, they're being attracted to this Jesus who's, who's got words that they have not heard um, spoken in this way. And there's an intimacy because Jesus is demonstrating this sense of relationship that is so real. And as this relationship is being demonstrated, I think people are drawn to it. But Jesus is also saying some hard things um, that are so good for them to hear, but also hard for them to hear. Jesus shares with them that in order for something to grow, it has to die. And that Jesus would also die. And that if you want to gain life, you have to lose it. You have to lose it. Now, as I shared yesterday, we've been crucified with Christ. That part's done. And sometimes we say, oh, well, that means I have to go, uh, uh, you know, I don't know, become a martyr. Well, not necessarily. No, sometimes it's easier to be a martyr than it is to be a disciple. Actually, I would say it's always easier to be a martyr than it is to be a disciple. Being a disciple could lead to being a martyr, who knows? But at the end of the day, we are called to live as complete humans, to live life to the full, as it says in John 10.10. 10. And it talks about even in John 10.10, 10, you know, the system, the world comes to, to steal and destroy. But Jesus comes to give us life and life to the full, to live into that. But you have to lose the sense of what it means. The system has told us of what it means to be human, which is to consume, to produce. While Jesus says, no, there's more to that. 
It's a being of presence, of relationship, transformational relationship, not transactional relationships. So you have to die to the sense of self and live into your true self, the divine spark that's inside of each one of us that is, is causing you to come alive. And if you're trying to ignore it, it's just an ache in your heart that uh, you can't eventually, you got to pay attention to that. Say, God, what are you calling me to be? Oh, you're calling me to be the person I've always wanted to be, the person I was created. But still, that sense of dying in order to gain life, that sense of how do we let go of things in our daily lives. Again, sometimes it may be easier to, 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 to die a physical death than it is to live and experience the deaths that we experience every day. The death of relationships, the death of our ego, the death of, of, of uh, all sorts of things. Um, our sense of what it means to live in this country when we're called to be something more than just, um, I don't know, whatever an American is or whatever a UK citizen is or a Scottish person is or a, or a um, South African Nicaraguan, I don't know. I mean, whatever the image is, we're called to live much more than that. I mean, we live in a certain place and we honor that place, just as it talks about in Jeremiah, but we're called also to be much more, um, to transcend um, the systems of the world that tell us a different thing. And that's what God wants to do. That's what the church is supposed to be, a foretaste of something different in the system. So anyway, we have to dive into some of that stuff. Now, so I was thinking as I was writing this, um, this sermon um, for our church, and I thought about when I was a kid. Now, when I was a kid, we lived on about seven acres, and my uncle, great uncle actually, lived next door. And he had a few more acres of land, a big, bit of a bigger farm. We had a small, kind of like a hobby farm, I guess. Now, one of the things that we shared a large garden with my uncle, it was about half the size of a football field, it was huge. And every year in the fall, the plants and veggies in that garden would die and go back into the ground. Now, that wasn't enough. We also had um, uh, cows. My, my uncle at least had cows. And in the spring, um, on his property's on one side and then kind of went, it shared property with ours. And then on the other side of the property, there was a, another big cow field. If you can visualize that. But anyway, um, in that cow field, there was a big, huge pile of manure. And one of the things that we would do every spring, I think it was spring, maybe it was in the fall, I don't remember, I was a kid. Um, but and I hated this job. We would go to the manure pile, we'd have a, a, a big uh, a tractor with a big trailer in the back of it, and we'd have pitchforks, and the manure would be dry by that point, and we would throw it in the back of the, uh, pitch it into the uh, trailer, and then take it up to the garden and spread it throughout the garden. Now before that, we also would uh, um, till the ground a bit, um, and I hated that job too because I'd have to sit on the back of the, uh, the plow to give it more weight um, as a kid. Uh, but that would churn up the dead plants, then we put manure on it, and all these nutrients, seemingly dead, smelly things, would go into the ground 
and give nutrients to the seeds that were being planted. Now, I just had to follow my uncle and my dad's lead. Um, be a little bit disciplined, even though I didn't quite like the job. But I did benefit from good food, and I did learn a lot. So if Jesus is calling us to be Jesus' followers, to be his disciples, the way of Jesus can be hard. It requires discipline. Sometimes we have to spread some manure. You know, sometimes I spread a lot of manure in my life. But as I often say, something that manure can grow good things if we let it. Sometimes we have to till the ground, and sometimes that can be painful. Sometimes we have to do things we don't particularly enjoy. Yet seeds are constantly being planted in our lives and in the lives of others that produce beautiful things. Friends, I don't know, we may be going through some uh, difficulties right now. We may be dealing with addictions, with broken relationships, or strained relationships out of this pandemic. The mental and emotional health costs of this pandemic, of isolation and everything, could be crazy. And maybe we've even experienced betrayal. I know I have. Even in the church, uh, with friends, I've experienced betrayal. And the most intimate of my relationships in my life, I've experienced betrayal. And so have you. We may have experienced a physical setback during the season. Maybe we've experienced the death of a loved one. We have fears. We have anxieties. Yet I'm here, you, I'm here to tell you that's part of life. It smells. It's a struggle. And God does not cause that stuff to happen. But God is in the struggle with us. God's intimate practice or presence is with us. Helping us along as we practice what it means to live, to die, and to love and to resurrect. God is giving you, God is giving my church, if you're a part of the faith community, your faith community, opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to be something more. To live and love as God did with radical inclusion. Radical inclusion of ourselves, of our neighbors, the communities that we live in, and grace. And discipline. Well, the title of the sermon that I gave yesterday was Endgame. And honestly, the reason was because I watched again for like the third time last week, um, by chance, the movie, uh, Marvel's Avengers uh, Endgame. So it was on my mind. And I love Marvel movies. Um, my son actually and I have a tradition when we could go to movie theaters and watch whenever one would come out. Now, Jesus talks about the Endgame in this gospel passage. But it's not like the end game of the Avengers. Jesus is not some superhero who's coming in to kick butt and knock down doors and all that stuff. As a matter of fact, it says in Scripture that it says, I come to knock, not knock down, but knock. <laughs> um, but Jesus, no, he follows the way of humility, of emptying, of dying, which is much more powerful than any movie storyline. It's a storyline of a practice that has changed my life, changed your life, whether we recognize it or not, and the world. Jesus knew this. He knew he had to die. You know, I shared this this past Sunday. As we go through this world and we look at all that's going on, even the events of last week with the, the murder of uh, eight people in Atlanta, six of whom were Asian, and we see the rise of Asian hate um, in the past year alone, 1,900%. And as I talk to my Asian brothers and sisters, and I'm trying to figure out how do I struggle through this, how do I be a better ally, a better friend? I don't know. 
but I know that there are things that the church needs to do better, that I need to do better in terms of an awareness of community building. We all do. And we need to follow the way of Jesus. We have to remember violence begets violence. Jesus came to break the endless cycle of violence. How did Jesus respond to violence being inflicted upon him? The humiliation of the cross. Not Superman. Not Batman. But the power of God demonstrated in a way that's much more powerful. Of emptying God's self into us. By emptying God's love into us. Demonstrating that God is bound to us in all things, in all ways. Jesus died because of Jesus' challenge of a system that kept us all enslaved to a way of life that was getting us nowhere. Yet Jesus overcame that system, challenged that system, and invites us to love our neighbors as he did. And death is not the final answer. Jesus overcame death. That's why we have Easter in a week and a half. And somewhere, some way, I, I believe that Jesus is resurrected, embodied. Someday we'll be like him. And we'll still have our scars, just as Jesus still has his scars. We'll be healed, we'll be whole. But we'll still have reminders of the struggle that takes us through death and into resurrection. Well, so friends, in this end game, that's actually really more of a beginning and a continuation. Let's be the body of Christ. All of humanity is the body of Christ. The church is a particular part of the body of Christ. Let's call, let's live into that call to be the community that we're called to be, to follow Jesus, and that knowing that our identity in Christ, that we don't have to force God on others. God is there, God is pursuing us, God's not going to give up on us, nor is God going to give up on anybody in this world. It doesn't. But our role is to simply love each other well, to love ourselves well in the process, to serve others, to be engaged, to be present, and allow God to move and shape and form us. And know that whatever life brings us, as messy as it is, as smelly as it can be, and even as we go through periods of dying, that there is resurrection, there is growth, and that smelliness, that messiness, does produce beautiful things as we continue to practice in the way of God and the way of love. All right, there you go. Those are my thoughts from the sermon yesterday, a little bit more of my thoughts than the 15-minute sermon because this was about a half an hour. Have a great day. Know that you are loved. Bye now.